ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the JT and Big O podcast. We are your host, Video Geek JT, and Ryan Big O'Regan. And I should stop doing that because every week I hear on the audio it get clipped. <laughs> I'm telling you, I could just record a separate section that we know is going to work and you just play that at the beginning. I should. I, you know what? I'll give a shout out to another one of our, uh, our two of our friends are actually maybe closer to you than me. Uh, the Ranting and Raving podcast. I love their opening. Like, ah, uh, yeah, Chris. It's like in a world of devastation. Actually, that's the Pokemon opening. But they're they're not too far off from that. <laughs> Look, what, whatever they're catching, as long as they get all of it, I'm happy for the guys. <laughs> But I mean, they they can just jump right into it. They had that whole entire song and intro and stuff. But uh, no, you know, I kind of like doing it every week. It gets me into the show. I'm not. I'm gonna regret it when I lose my voice. But until then, I I like doing it. Yeah, you're you're gonna have like that um, ACDC career where you're gonna go ahead and just sing until you can't sing no more, and then you know the band's dead. So that's good. <laughs> Uh, that's sad because they actually, there are some dead people in that band. Well, it's rock and roll. There's always going to be dead people in the band. I mean, that's just the fact of it. I mean, if, if you're not dying, then you're not partying well enough. I don't know if I want to encourage that. <laughs> How many rock stars do we know? Wh- who am I going to tempt into the dark side of rock and roll? They're know, already but, there. But I listen to some of these bands. I'm just glad that Ozzy seems to be surviving everything. Ozzy, if this doesn't prove that he like actually made a deal with the devil, I don't know what does. Him, Jagger, Keith Richards, anybody that is like past their prime and still able to go on one last tour eventually, that that's Satan work. That that has to be Satan. <laughs> well, uh, people who go on multiple last tours, like how many uh, last shows has Rolling Stones done in their lifetime at this point? As many as they'll be able to get money for uh so we not we're not really talking about music unfortunately this week but we are talking once again about professional wrestling and dead people so in terms of dead people or the dead man it seems that uh he had a final message in his uh special that's been on the wwe network is that correct yeah the series the last ride which has been pretty much uh uh, encapsulating his entire career as well as his last few years uh, performing at WrestleMania and just being a part of the WWE. And in a sense, it's almost as if The Undertaker is retiring. But he didn't actually say he's retiring. He just pretty much said uh, there's nothing else he can see himself doing in the company or in the ring even. So, you know, this is one thing I don't like about news reports these days because I, I didn't get to watch the special. I've just been going by what I've read. And everyone's been saying that he retired. So he didn't actually say he retired. He just said, I'm not sure what I'm doing next. Or not even so much what he's doing next, but he just doesn't know if there's anything else for him to do. You know, I'm like... He's pretty much, he has his, uh, as uh, Stephen Larson from Going and Wrong usually like to say, they have his legacy. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he likes to go ahead and just have this whole lineage about him. He's pretty much passed on the torch, whether it be to Brock or to Roman Reigns. There's, 
a nice little match that pretty much was him riding off in the sunset that we just saw back in April with the Boneyard match against AJ Styles. So it's really hard pressing to think about what else he could do that he should do in the company other than just, you know, sit there and sign autographs from here on out. I really don't disagree with you on that either, unfortunately. it's He is at a point, I think, in his life where he needs to kind of, like, take it easy a little bit. I feel like he should have probably retired, like, maybe five years ago. But I don't know. It's just, it's kind of weird now, like, just, like, how unimpressively he's decided to just retire. Well, I I guess I can't call it unimpressive. I lo- do you want to really end your career on the, that match at WrestleMania? Because it wasn't even really a match. It, it was a sideshow at best, yeah. But, I mean, given the circumstances, if you were going to plan on doing it this year and obviously things being outside of his control, it's a nice little like teaser, I would say, to a retirement rather than an official retirement. I don't think we're going to get like the official retirement until probably next year at WrestleMania when there is a Hall of Fame, which he'll probably get inducted to. And he gets a send-off in front of the fans rather than just on a television screen. Yeah, I guess. I Circumstances, I guess, these days are just weird. It just it, it screws up so many things. Um, yes, it does, especially in wrestling nowadays. Have to have to ask the question do you think it uh so i want to move on from undertaker so quickly but i don't think there's anything else really to add unless you have something to say but uh well i mean it's heartbreaking to an extent i mean the guy's had about a 30-year career and he's pretty much the main reason i even started watching wrestling to be honest like i can remember when i was a kid and they had the saturday night main events that would occasionally take place uh instead of snl on NBC, so there would be those moments, and really, I wouldn't watch too much of it. I the, the one vague memory I have is when Andre the Giant wanted to beat up Hulk Hogan on stage, and outside of that, I didn't really care. But then, when The Undertaker came into play during Survivor Series back in what was it, uh, 1989, I believe, or somewhere around then, I was drawn in. Like, Undertaker drew me into wrestling because it just became that much more of a show. It became that much more of a spectacle rather than just guys punching each other. And he's the only reason I've even kept watching the WWE for so many years because he's still been a part of it. He's still been the employee. For as much as you want to say that, like, Shawn Michaels or DX or The Rock or Stone Cold or, you know, even Ric Flair in the earlier days, Hulk Hogan, all them. For me, Undertaker was always the headpiece he was the guiding light of wwe he is the one that actually made me want to watch and now knowing that his number is officially up it's i mean there are younger guys that i like watching yeah and then don't take that out of context but I don't know if I'm really going to care as much anymore if he's not even going to be around to participate in anything. Uh, and I, I can't disagree with you on that. I mean, it is your opinion, so it's it's valid, but... But if yeah. you think differently, go right ahead. I, I really don't. Uh, and, and it's... I think just wrestling in general has been 
very bad in the last over the last decade or so. And any, anytime like something good does pop up, it doesn't last very long. Uh, for me, Undertaker was never like the guiding light, but you know, when I started watching professional wrestling, he was like the number two baby face in the WWE, and this was back in like mid 1998. Um, my favorite wrestler, which was Steve Austin was done within two years of me starting to watch professional wrestling. And I really stopped, started to fall off even at that point because there wasn't really much keeping me on. I like Chris Jericho, but he retired in 96 there for a while. And uh, yeah, now you lost Undertaker. You don't really have many name value people left. I don't know. I I I guess that's kind of the crux of it then, isn't it? The fact that you've had all these great superstars that have kind of like come and gone and even superstars like Hogan who have kind of like diminished whatever star they had. And yet Taker has been like the one good constant for like three decades. Yeah. And I don't, and seeing his personality, I don't know if he's ever going to really ruin it. I mean, some people have said some bad things about Taker over the years. Uh, They blame a lot of what happened right after uh, WCW went bankrupt like that those really lousy storylines between uh, Undertaker and Steve Austin were partially blamed on Undertaker and him kind of burying some talent in that period of time. But outside that, a lot of people have a lot of positive things to say about him and his legacy. His legacy. I I (laughs) love when Steve does that. It's great. (laughs) I can't help it. When Steve does it? Steve of Steven Larson. Every oh. time they talk about Taker, that he always do like the Taker voice, and you know, it's like, I have my legacy. I will take you down the river, Stygian. And you know, he just does like a great Undertaker voice. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It just I, I always giggle every time I hear it. And I think it's less because of him doing the voice, and it's just the fact that you don't see Taker mocked that often. So when you do, it's like a highlight. Because again, like you said, very few people have anything bad to say about him. So whenever he can be uh, like, you know, you poke the bear a little, it's like, Oh shit. I wasn't expecting that. Like take for instance, uh, you remember that SummerSlam where it was like undertaker and Brock and yes. you had that like famous gift now where it's like, they both kind of sit up and like Brock's laughing yeah. at Taker, but then Taker laughs at Brock and he looks like monstrous. Uh-huh. I love that. I do because it's a rare commodity. It's the rare, one of the few times that you can see Taker being just like, you know, Mark Calloway, as opposed to like, you know, the dead man himself. And that's a joy I'm going to lose, man. (sighs) I feel like he was trying to be intimidating there and it just didn't work. It was one of the few backfires from The Undertaker, in my opinion. But But it made for good memes. Um, I don't know. So... Yeah, with with The Undertaker, again, I liked him, but I don't think he meant as much to me. I do know he means so much to other people. I know a a common friend of ours, Mark Richolt, uh, he had a a few times where Undertaker wrestled the match and it didn't go that well. And it just, in a drunken stupor, just was like inconsolable about it. It's just like, come on, dude, it's it's just professional wrestling. Well, that that I think is like the other case of like, you know, are people happy about this or are people sad about this? Because we've seen his performance kind of wane in the years. You know, it, it's not like one of those things where his 
arsenal of moves was shitty to begin with, like, say, a Hulk Hogan, where it was just the big boot and the leg drop, and all he had was, like, the hulking up and the hair flying. Taker didn't have that. He had such a varied arsenal. He had such great moves. He was able to do things that most big men still can't do to this day. And when you see someone who used to be able to do this, that, and the other thing, not really be able to do this, that, and the other thing anymore, and yet still press on, it's it's disheartening. Yeah, I I kind of yeah I kind of agree with that, and I think even he does too, uh, because he recently said like, yeah, I know I can come back and just like uh, leg drop someone and choke slam them and tombstone them and. The crowd will pop for that. But he feels himself like, I don't want to go out there if I can't do the things that I used to do because it wouldn't sit right with me. And when I say me, I mean The Undertaker. Right, right. But, I mean, that mentality alone, I think, also separates him from the pack because you see other superstars who have come back when they really shouldn't have come back, whether it be Sean, whether it be Hulk, whether it be Flair, uh, even Angle to a certain extent. I think Sean just didn't realize it because he kind of left when he was still at his peak. So he was kind of like, all right, you know, I I left after four years and I came back and it seemed like I didn't lose a step. Maybe I can do this one more time. And I guess that one more time was not meant to be. Yeah. And, you know, I'd say most recently, look at Goldberg. You know, I mean, he was in peak physical condition. He just wasn't ready for it until like, he saw how bad his match with Taker over in Saudi Arabia was, and then he's like, you know what? Let me just get one more good go, even though it fucked over Bray Wyatt. <sighs> Never gonna forgive that. Yeah, there's a lot of things. What what do you not forgive under uh, Goldberg for? For screwing over Bray Wyatt or ending the career of Bret the Hitman Hart? I have to forgive one of those because I. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was fine when he was, like, the Ryback of his day, but, you know, anything WWE-oriented, I could care less. I, I prefer Gilbert. Oh. Actually, I think I prefer Gilbert, too. And now yeah, you know, he, he was charming, you know, with his little tiny self. Cute. Uh, speaking of different uh, ends of the spectrum, so, actually, that was a terrible segue. But anyway. Well, no, no, uh, okay, here's a good segue. So, Speaking about someone who was beloved in the wrestling industry, we move over to a more galvanizing character. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, now, obviously, there's a lot that's been going on in the industry lately, whether it be um, COVID-related or the hashtag speaking out, which people better than us have already tackled. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go ahead and put a linchpin in that. But uh, one of the bigger stories that have come out this week uh, – not so much the ending of a career, but might as well be. Uh, Tessa Blanchard, the then current uh, Impact champion, which of course is always a nice story when you hear about a woman being the head champion of a wrestling company that's predominantly male. But she was unceremoniously fired from the company this week. Yeah, so this is a kind of an interesting one. Now, in professional wrestling, as we all know, it's predetermined. And uh, for a company to put you at the the head of the pack as their world champion, they're pretty much making you the face of the organization. And Impact, for a very long time, was considering uh, Tessa Blanchard for this role. 
Uh, they pushed her to the moon. And in, in her, everything to say is she is a great wrestler. She, she kind of takes a, after her father quite a bit. The, yes, totally. But, but I should also point out she takes after her father in the ring and she takes after her father outside the ring too because Tully was very well known for being kind of a prick. And uh, Tessa's not too far off the old block. Um, around the time that she actually, and as, uh, as Big O was kind of pointing out to, she was going after the World Heavyweight Championship in Impact Wrestling. Uh, it started coming out that she uh, had pissed off quite a number of her colleagues in the past, including calling uh, one of them by the N-word. And there was a few confirmed reports from other professional wrestlers saying like, yeah, we saw her do that. We saw her spit on this person, et cetera. And, you know, Impact still, like with all this bad publicity, still put the world championship on her. And then, you know, you would think like, okay, I would be forever grateful to this company because they stuck with me even when I was at my a really low point and you know the her true character it's like no nah, i'm screw you i'm still not gonna do things for you in fairness so uh, just to backtrack a little bit here she was supposed to be defending her world heavyweight championship in an upcoming pay-per-view coming up uh i forget what the date is of it do you happen to know um I, it's supposed to be sometime in january july it's slammiversary, slammiversary. Uh, for impact wrestling and she, yeah, she was going to be in like um, a six-pack challenge sort of thing where it was going to be I thought her it was five. versus five other men. Oh, oh, so it was going to be six. I thought it was going to be four other men and she was like the fifth. I, th I think it was five other men. I, I, I'm, I forget whether or not – I'm pretty sure Sammy was in there, um, but I'm not sure who the other four got. Hold on. I, I can probably bring it up. So I don't know if it was maybe sort of pre-planned and maybe this is why she was kind of uh, not – agreeing to do anything but i think it was very obvious she was going to lose this one they kind of set it up in a way where she could lose the belt without ever getting pinned i think that was what the plan was and her contract was actually going to come up uh i believe two weeks after the pay-per-view was done so she was probably going to wrap up with impact no matter what she actually i think they knew she wasn't going to compete in the match but they, they were just saying, like, you know, just send in promos. Just give us a promo. Just anything. Just to help promote the match. And she was just totally unresponsive to them. And finally, they're like, screw you. We're, we're firing you. We're stripping you of the belt. And, and now she's done. All right. So just for information and clarity, uh, the event is supposed to take place on July 18th. Um, and the Impact World Championship match has now been dubbed down to a fatal four-way. So it is going to be uh, Ace Austin versus Eddie Edwards, who I like, uh, Trey, and then a fourth combatant to be announced later on. So I know there was at least one other guy that was involved in that. So I think he was taken out for other reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously Tessa was removed. And here's the thing. Tessa herself wasn't even fired for any of the the bad press that she would have gotten and if anything i think impact kind of leaned on the bad press in order to help promote the fact that they were going to have a women champion as opposed to all the guys who i think at that time were giving the belts to like you know goldberg and stuff like that but she had uh pretty much self-quarantined because of the covid crisis i think and she was in new mexico 
And the only thing that Impact was looking for her from, uh, aside from actually showing up at the event, was to just send them promos uh, to help hype up her return to the ring and being part of the match. And she couldn't even do that. Yeah, like, like I said, I think she knew the writing was on the wall that they were going to take the belt off of her and that they were going to let her contract expire. So my feeling is maybe she just did, didn't send any promos because she knew like there was no point to it. She was sort of like an F you, you're giving up on me. But uh, this is speculation on my part because it, it doesn't make sense for you not to do anything whatsoever. And, and that's what I was reason. thinking. It's like that's one way to go about it. The other way I was thinking about going about it was maybe it was more her holding the championship hostage, kind of like an a la Ultimate Warrior did back in the day. It's like, you know, unless you sign this contract with these stipulations, I'm not coming back for the match and I'm not coming in with the belt. I could see that too. I could see both of them being together. The the fact that she's like, Well, you're not gonna fire your first women's champion. And but they did. They are. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she, 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 you know, kind of like went wanted to play chicken, and she's the one that ended up viewing off the road. It's like you're not gonna make a terrible decision like this. Oh, we're impact. We're known for terrible decisions. But is it really a terrible decision, though? It's not a good decision. I mean, again, it's like you're kind of backed into a corner. But at the same time, you once again had to strip your world championship from someone. I, I don't know how many times this has happened with Impact, but it's like none of those belts, in my opinion, have any meaning anymore. Except maybe the one that's on uh, Moose. Uh, was that the TV championship or something? They have a TV champion? Whatever happened to the X Division championship? I don't know. I don't know if there is an X Division anymore because I don't think they have as many high flyers. It's, you know what, since the sale from uh, Dixie Carter, I've completely stopped paying attention to them. It's, it feels like, I'm just shocked they're still in business. I'm waiting for Anthem to just Oh, it's, it's cut more than losses. that. I don't know if you heard that rumor, but a lot of the people that were let go from WWE during that um, Black Wednesday, yeah, apparently a good number of them are coming to Impact. The only one I heard of was Rusev. Who else was uh, on the list of going over there? Uh, the Canellises are also rumored to be going over there. Okay. And at least one, if not both, of uh, the Zack Ryder, uh, Curtis Hawkins, I think one of them might be going over. Plus EC3, who, of course, is, you know, he started in WWE, but the EC3 character started in Impact. Right, because he was actually, like, it was, like, supposed to be related to dixie carter like a right? nephew or something yeah yeah um i just i don't i don't believe you should go to impact i don't th i think that's where careers go to die at this point um i i, <laughs> I kind of i honestly it, even rusev who's the only one i i had personally heard of i think he should go to nwa i think he'd do really well at the nwa and put him against nick aldis um, it'd be weird to see Matt Cardona, aka Zach Ryder, go over to Impact, considering the fact that uh, two of his best friends uh, that he lives near right now both are in charge of two different major wrestling promotions bigger than Impact Wrestling, ROH and AEW. Um, it just seems kind of weird to me. Why would you go to Impact unless you had no other options? 
I think the problem is that for a lot of the companies, yeah, you don't have that many options right now because some companies are still kind of like, you know, shut down because of the pandemic. And while we see that uh, things like AEW and WWE are active, Impact is still active as well, maybe not to the degree of the other two. But outside of that, really, where do you go? And that also plays into the Tessa Blanchard thing. Now that she's been let go of Impact, and with the bad reputation she has, where do you go, really? WWE's not going to take her after her experiences there in the company. Uh, I don't think AEW is taking on that many more people because they've already filled up a lot of their roster. And AEW is also considered a more inclusive type of promotion. Like, they specifically hire people more on the basis that uh, they get along with each other rather than that they're just a really good wrestler or something like that. And yeah, it's so very where well else known do you that, go? Yeah. Um, I don't think she has many options. Maybe Japan at some point, but I don't I mean, know. Her- Japan Pro Wrestling is probably the other – that's like the third big one that's really kicked back up. Uh, but even then, I don't know when matches are going to be uh, as regularly scheduled. That's something to be seen within the next couple of months. I mean, she's also in Mexico. If she has enough money saved up right now, she could wait it off and then do AAA when they start back up. That's an idea. Uh, it would be nice to actually see more of a female brawler in a Lucha Libre sort of scenario, just seeing maybe she could learn something or bring something new to the aspect. There's a possibility. But again, these are all things that are going to be off in a ways. This isn't something that she can do immediately. Yeah, I, yeah and that's, that's true for every professional wrestler. I still like, I, I talk about Matt Cardona because, I don't know, there's something about him I kind of like. But it's he was he was the one who was promoting the hell out of his merchandise the minute he got fired, and now he's like on shirt number ten, and he still hasn't wrestled since leaving the WWE. It's like, you know, this gravy train is going to run out at some point. The man is just a marketing machine, and when you have that kind of charisma, you don't got to do shit except sell. And if the man can go ahead and hawk toys and shirts and you know, his own personal merchandise, God bless him. I, I wish I had that kind of pull. I, to this day, it just amazes me how much WWE dropped the ball on him. Not even, like, as a character on on their television. Just the fact, like, you could use him in so many places. Like, you remember back in the day when Michael Hayes used to, like, sell all that merchandise, like, during like during commercial segments? Yeah, and they had, like, their own special little, like, you know, before the WWE shop zone, it was pretty much just him in, the, like, a little cage area. Yeah, I, I can see, like, uh, Matt Cardona doing something like that. Look at this. Look at this new toy and all its action figures. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I could see him being, like, Vin Diesel was back with the Street Sharks, you know, just going ahead and talking <laughs> the toys for, like, a good five minutes. So, Again, it's a, I hope he does. I hope he doesn't end up in impact. I hope a lot of them don't end up in impact. And uh, for Tessa, uh, I, I was gonna try to say it in a nice way, but uh, she's gotta learn to stop being a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> wow, just putting it like that. But I couldn't think of a better way. Like I was saying, well, how's a nice way to put this? Yeah, let's just say it. Well, I mean, we could go the whole WWE route and just say that we wish her the best of luck in her future endeavors. <laughs> uh, what that. those future endeavors will be, who knows at this point. Um, but, I, I mean, I don't like to necessarily wish, wish ill on 
a competent professional wrestler. You know, it'd be one thing if they were just like kind of like a jokey gimmick sort of thing. But like we said at the beginning, Tessa is good. She's probably one of the most competent and capable female performers in that industry in our time. And you'd be hard pressed to find many equals that are currently active. One would obviously say Becky Lynch, but now that she's kind of like taking uh, maternity leave, there's probably very, very few that can stand up to her. It's just a shame that her own personal ego is kind of getting in the way of things. So hopefully things will be better for her and hopefully she herself will be better. Yeah. I mean, Shawn Michaels back in the day was also known for a lot of attitude issues and he eventually grew up. Hopefully the same can happen with her. Maybe if Tessa starts wearing chaps. I don't know. <laughs> That's the problem. The pants are too tight. Uh, so, we we're gonna, I was trying to figure out a segue for this, but uh, to move away from professional wrestling, I'm going to touch on another topic that we've touched about in the past. Um, so, HBO Max finally made its debut. Uh, oh, just a few oh I have your transition. From one train wreck to another. Yes, there we go. <laughs> From one train wreck to another. Now, let's talk about HBO Max. God um, fucking damn it. So, I know you've had your problems. I have some problems with it. I think a lot of people have a problems with... I had... They did, the, did it. They did what Disney Plus did to me. I, had, I started to have faith in them, and they let me down. Would you like to talk about your problems with them first? Because <laughs> I know you... You were quite, you weren't quite happy yesterday. Well, my problem is probably a little bit more background system oriented rather than HBO Max and its policies itself. Uh, now, of course, I have an AT&T mobile account. Uh, me and my sister, we have a, you know, this joint account. And so when we went ahead and changed plans, we were supposed to get HBO Max for free. That's because, you know, obviously... AT&T and Warner Brothers, they work in, you know, connection with each other. So I've had the damnedest time just trying to sign up for an HBO Max account. This has been weeks now that I've tried to sign up for an HBO Max account because they're saying that, like, one AT&T account doesn't correlate with the other AT&T account. Like, there was one before the upgrade, and then there's one after the upgrade because I had to make one. Uh, when my sister added my name into the works and I have been going back at them constantly at least three times I've had to be on the phone with them being like hey I want to be able to sign in to HBO Max I want to get I know it's free technically even though we are paying a little bit more on our bill but you said I'd be able to go ahead and get this I can't even get my account set where I can sign in I can attempt and it'll say oh we don't recognize this account. We don't recognize this on your AT&T plan. You have to go back in here and take care of that. And I'll go in here and I'll take care of that. And I'll try it again. And it still won't work. <laughs> Why in the God's name well, are you trying to stop me from getting something that rightfully by your promotion, you said we could have? Why are you being a bitch about this? Well, I think there's a lot of misfires when it comes to HBO Max. Ah! Uh, I mean, like, I I actually had an HBO Now account, and I actually killed it so I could get the uh, the cheaper plan version of HBO Max, especially because from if you have an HBO Max account, you get all the others anyway. 
the problem is like you would think with a rollout of a major uh product like this that you would have all you would have everything lined up everything ready to go no problems besides what you went through with uh with your AT&T account it's they don't even have an app ready for HBO Max yet so if you're using your smart TV or a Roku or a Fire Stick, you can't get HBO Max. You have to use HBO Now. And HBO Now doesn't have all the features that HBO Max has. So the or there is you... an app on your phone, but then you can only use it on your phone. You can't yeah. like transpose it onto anything else. Right. And who's watching like all these movies on their phone? Like some people want to watch this on their smart TV. They want to watch it on a monitor that's bigger than seven inches. It's not fucking Quibi. <laughs> and, and look at some that we've already forgotten about that's how great that was um with it i just i don't get it i don't get why you would have such a poor rollout plan for all this stuff and and to be honest i'm like it's made me not want to watch it like i'm not i use some web browsers but i'm not going to do it for hbo max and the one thing i wanted to watch on hbo max recently which we'll talk about a little later on uh doom patrol I had to watch it on DC Universe because I, I didn't have access to it otherwise. Which that in itself is dying out. And you'd figure the stuff from DC Universe would just go ahead, just switch over to HBO Max, and it would be that much more of a reason to sign up for HBO Max because then you'd be getting this whole slew of DC content that otherwise was subjected to this you know, off-world reality app that no one used. And yet... They've only brought over bits and pieces. And that's, that's the other thing. Uh, Warner Media just has this really poor history when it comes to any type of uh, application for their content. All right, you released HBO Max. Why do you still have an HBO Now? What the hell is an HBO Go? Why do you have C DC Universe when you have no new shows coming to it? it these... These all need answers here, and I don't. Oh, uh, Verve. Verve is part of is another streaming service owned by them. And by the way, look at Verve. Verve is actually feeding feeding from uh, Crunchyroll, which is another Warner uh, Media service. They don't it's like know a what they're doing. Platter of shit. Yeah, it's like just organize it, stick in their one thing. I know Disney Plus, Disney has theirs separated a little bit, but they have reasons. They can't put sports on there, so they have their E in it. ESPN uh, Plus. Uh, I don't know what the hell they still have Hulu, though. Oh, well, that's their Fox slash Mature Content brand right there. So it, so they, they at least they still had that segregated. Like, okay, you still get the Mature stuff over here with Hulu. Uh, you have your more friendly stuff with, here with Disney Plus. And then you have your sports stuff with e, uh, ESPN. HBO Go and HBO Now are pretty much the same thing. HBO Max is HBO Go and HBO Now with more content. And then, like I mentioned, the other ones, it's other feeders where it's like this one has more than this one, but both of them are the same company. And if you own this one and you get that one and, and your, your head just explodes. It's like an octopus playing tug of war with itself. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that is the best description I've heard of that. Oh um, my, it's, and I don't, it just frustrates me. I'm, I'm someone who likes being very organized, who, who like, I like to be like, okay, I want to do this. I want one stop shopping for all this. HBO is like, 
Well, we have many stores to go to. No, one store. Give me one store to shop at. Yeah, give me Macy's. Don't give me Macy's, Macy's Light, Macy's XL, Macy's Juniors. Don't, don't, no, put it all in Macy's. Otherwise, you know, it's, I actually, what boggles my mind the most is Netflix is still number one. And Netflix started after all of them. Like they, they should have the least experience. They should be having the hardest time. But they have not only destroyed Blockbuster, they are slowly destroying Warner Brothers. They're slowly destroying Disney. They're slowly, well, NBC. I don't even know if NBC Universal's in the equation anymore. I, I still, like, to this day, do oh, not Peacock? know what the hell Peacock is. I don't know. Is Peacock even out yet? I, I don't know, and I don't care. I just like saying Peacock at this point. But outside <laughs> that, like, I have no interest in watching them. Like, what does NBC even have anymore? What does Universal have? What does Universal do right these days? I, well, I mean, that might be part of the problem with Peacock, too, because Peacock and Universal have their collaboration, and Universal hasn't exactly been making the most, let's say, educated moves lately. Yeah. Uh, but at least with Warner Brothers being, like, you know, the anti-Disney to an extent, y- you would think that they would have a little bit more on the ball. But this whole... HBO, Warner Brothers, Crunchyroll, Comedy Central, uh, South Park with the orientation there, Pickle Ricks with Rick and Morty. So there's just way too much shit, and they can't put it all in one pot. I uh, oh. I was originally going to make this my uh, my getting animated segment this week, and I ended up scrapping it because there's really not much to say. But since we're talking about this real quick, I'll bring it up real fast. They actually produced a show three years ago uh, called Close Enough, which was basically like uh, people our age and having kids and just a a, somewhat of a dull show, but interesting. And they had it all set up for TBS and their their block over there with the the Louis C.K. show. And can you guess what happened there? Um, (laughs) So... After Louis C.K. kind of uh, went away for a bit, they didn't apparently know what to do with this show, and they shelved it for three years until they decided recently they're going to put it on HBO Max. It's like, well, what else are we supposed to do with the show? It's like, I don't know. You're, the creator of that show was just on Cartoon Network for four years. Yeah, J.J. Uh, Quintel, uh, the voice actor and creator of a regular show. Yeah, so it's like, all right, so he already has a following and an audience on one of your other branded Warner Media shows, our channels, and his content lies very closely to what you would put on, you know, like an adult swim. Why didn't you just do that? No, you just show, like, they don't know what they're doing. They really don't. It has been frustrating. Uh, And not to mention, probably the biggest offender, at least to me, on top of everything here, is the fact that they don't even know what they're showing as far as content anymore. You have the regular, you know, programming that like the television shows that they bought up from Netflix and all those other branches where you can watch it exclusively that people have watched at nauseum already. And you have the new programs like Close Enough or like um, Anna Kendrick with Love Life and everything. But one of the biggest draws was pretty much one of the biggest draws that was there for DC Universe. And that's like all the DC content, 
all of the, you know, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, all that content that one that was under that banner. And so much of it is now simply being taken away barely a month after launch next month due to contracts. Now, if I recall, something similar happened with Disney Plus and Disney Plus got a lot of backlash for it. And again, then Warner Brothers comes forward and it's like, well, we're better than those guys. By the way, I it's just... Mm. Well, to Disney's defense, there were a couple of movies that they just had leased out, like uh, Into the Woods or Maleficent and even a couple of the Marvel movies. But for the majority of the Disney content that they had, whether it be Disney-owned movies or Marvel stuff, and even most of the Star Wars stuff, that was all there on launch. The problem was that that was really the only thing there on launch outside of Mandalorian. They don't have the wealth of new content that HBO Max does. But the new content is only going to take you so far. People are still going to be there for the old reliables that they don't own and that they can't see anywhere else. And still, you're going to go ahead and start locking things in the vault? No, there should be no vaults anymore. Again, though, it's all these contracts. It's... uh. Like I said, it's one of the major reasons why we don't see sports doing a lot more live streaming at this point, because every team has its own contract to be able to stream anything or play anything in any capacity ever. I And yeah, I, the, I think that's the problem too, where why Netflix doesn't have a problem with. Netflix makes content for themselves. They don't make it for Warner. They don't make it for Disney Plus. They don't make it for DVD. They make it for themselves. Warner Brothers and Disney and Fox and Universal, they have this old school uh, distribution format that, you know, they can't immediately kill and start with this. Funny enough, I think that's what killed Blockbuster because Blockbuster was trying to go the route of Netflix. And they said, well, our downfall was the fact that we were still doing, we still had to have our main business and our main business was failing faster than any of the new business was. Could you imagine if Blockbuster started making its own content, like its own straight-to-video movies? Yeah, well, I think it would have been very much like Netflix. But like I said, it's... I think I think it was like... Block, from everything I heard, Blockbuster did everything right. They just they ran out of time. Yeah, and, it had it been like a year or two sooner that they started, they probably would have been on equal footing. And that would have been like truly Netflix's competitor. Now everyone's just trying to belly up to the bar and they can barely get their hand in to order a drink. Yeah. And I, I'm repeating myself at this point. I'll, I'll, I'll end it here after I, I say this. I cannot understand how media companies that have been around some for over a century at this point, just mess up something like this so badly. It's, I can understand if you have pre, uh, you had contracts beforehand that you have to honor or that you have other sections of your business that you have to abide by. But to, not, to, to kind of have a model there like Netflix and to see exactly how it should be run and for you to have more resources than that company has and for you to still fall flat on your face, it just... What's wrong with you? To take a line from the Emperor in Star Wars, your arrogance. That's what it is. It's all arrogance. Yep. 
I guess so. Speaking of some arrogant motherfuckers, do you want to go ahead and uh, do your review for the one <laughs> possible good piece of HBO Max content? Sure. Uh, and the funny thing is, I didn't even watch uh, any of the episodes so far on uh, HBO Max. I've watched it all on DC Universe. Um, Doom Control. Did I say that right? God, Doom Patrol, I, yes. I am tired. Doom Patrol. I. It doesn't sound right when I say it. It sounds like I'm saying Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol. Anyway. Doom. 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 Uh, you gotta get the bass in your voice when you say Doom. You gotta be like <laughs> Doom Patrol. So, all right. So I, I I caught this show maybe a few months back, uh, watching uh, the already released season one. And I fell in love with this very fast. Uh, if you watched on Netflix, the Umbrella Academy, mm-hmm. think of this as sort of like the B-grade version of that, which is very sad considering that these characters have been around since the 60s. In fact, these were the characters that were released the same time as the X-Men. This was, I forget if X-Men was the answer to the Doom Patrol or Doom Patrol was the answer to the X-Men, but it just boggles my mind how the X-Men just where they are today and that this show is just this this uh i forget what to call it uh this uh brand from uh dc is just finally getting its legs now well i mean i think it comes down to like the characters really i mean yes you can go ahead and say both of them have a guy in a wheelchair as their mentor okay similarity there um I think the powers are really what really played into X-Men's favor because if you look at the core set of three for the Doom Patrol now mind you I haven't watched too much of the show myself I saw the first three episodes that was released for free on YouTube as part of the promotion leading up to the season two premiere and I do have to say it's good stuff but if you just looked at the three main people alone you have uh, and this is the funny thing I like yeah I'm going to start off with Alaska Woman because she was originally called Elastigirl, but she mm-hmm. can't be called Elastigirl anymore because of Disney Pixar and The Incredibles. <laughs> so I find that funny, that they never trademarked that. But you have her, and all she's been doing has been a sloppy, drippy mess. Uh, Negative Man just has like this energy being inside of him. Otherwise, he looks like Wade Wilson. And yes. Robot Man is... Just that, a robot with a human, he's basically Frankenstein. You know, you, you compare that to Cyclops, Jean Grey, Iceman, the Beast, and then that's just like the core set that we're talking about. I'm not even yeah. going into like, you know, Wolverine and Storm and all the ones that actually brought people to the bar. Well, but, also there's uh, Crazy Jane who does have like the, uh, the smorgasbord of superpowers, depending on what personality is in charge. Yeah, but did Crazy Jane come out after the X-Men started becoming popular? Oh, in terms of the actual comic book series? No, I don't think she debuted till like uh, the late 80s. Yeah, so like I said, after the X-Men became popular, she was basically like, okay, we need something to counteract all these other characters on the other side. What do we do? Oh, let's just put them all into one person. You know, even even uh, the brands that they bought have so many miscalculations. I, I just don't get it. Anyway, um, so as you saw the f- uh, first three episodes of season one, last night I got to see uh, the first three episodes of season two. And uh, 
You know what? I think it's tougher when you go into – you haven't seen all of season one yet, and I'm going to admit here there might be some spoilers, just a warning in case – I, you I get it. I've, I've seen the trailer for season two. I know the daughter comes into play somehow with her freakish little, like, but, facial hair. But the point I'm – what I'm really trying to get at is it's a, it, a lot of melodrama because each one of these people, they've had their own problems and part of, the, of their powers is the fact that they had this long lifespan. So some of them have been just dealing with this drama for uh, 20, 40, 60 years. And I think my problem with a lot of it is that it's, at some point a character has to grow up. And with season one, it shows that these characters had a lot of growth, that they finally decided, we're going to move forward, we're going to do this and that. And then the new season starts, and it's like, yep, no, we, we have more problems now. Like, I don't know what direction they're trying to go with with, uh, with Robot Man. He like goes between, I'm sad and depressed, and I, and screw this, and I'm going to beat things up. That's... That's that's the only thing I have against it. Like they, it's it's just too much melodrama, and the character development seems to be all over the place. It's Outside almost that, the comic book storylines had more consistency. Yeah, and and that's too. They they can't really follow the comic book stuff too because I feel like I haven't really read the DC stuff, but from the summaries that I've read, it's Crazy Jane seems very different. Like she was a lot. Uh, her and Robot Man got a lot along a lot better in the comics than they do the TV show. But outside that, and I realize I'm kind of rambling at this point. One of these days, I'll start setting this up properly. I will say this in regards to Doom Patrol. I still like the series. The There's something as annoying as the character development is, the characters themselves are always entertaining. Robot Man, at least for one hits here and there, he always has a good Joker entertaining moment. Do I like the fact that season one, he has a very dramatic uh, moment with his daughter, which he decides, well, I'm going to let her lead her life and I'm not going to ruin her life by telling her I'm her father? Yes. Do, at, out of nowhere in season two, does he decide just to drive to her house and explain everything and think like everything's going to be normal? Also, yes. It, I, I don't get it, but it's entertaining. <laughs> Well, it's weird because you have to understand this is being made by Greg Berlanti, the same one who is responsible for the Arrowverse. So pretty much every good DC television show we've had in like the last few years have come from him, whether it be Arrow, Flash, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl. Uh, he's even responsible for the Stargirl show that has just recently premiered this season over on DC Universe which a lot of people have really been able to enjoy. So you'd figure the whole superhero group dynamic thing is like his bag. And yeah. yet this, I don't know. It, it's humorous. It's probably more humorous than the other shows in regards to like the jokes that they make uh, towards each other and towards the situations. But I don't know if the group dynamic is cohesive enough to really make me want to care about them. I... Uh... And you know, I do say that's a problem. I, these the characters aren't likable. They're entertaining, but they're not likable. You you kind of want to punch Jane in the face. You kind of want to punch Robot Man in the face most of the time. Well, if you do that, it'll hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, either one of them, it'll hurt. 
But uh, the uh, the character, you know what also throws me off in this show? I don't know why I'm talking so badly about it. I do love the show. But um, the new character, what, I'm trying to think what point I should start at here. The fact they're ages, all of them, they're just all so old. And it's like, I don't like that section of the story. They shouldn't have tried to put that in that like, oh, all of them are ageless, including the little girl who's technically supposed to be like 90 years old. Yeah, that, that's an aspect I never understood. Like how are they coming from all these different decades and none of them are aging? At first I thought it was like the house, you know, like how uh, Constantine has like the house of mystery and it's like it's ethereal field around it i figured maybe the doc had like the chief had some sort of house like that where it's like for as long as you stay in there you're in perpetual a second no no no. so it's uh i know you haven't seen all season one it's explained by the end of season one what happened basically they're all sort of failed experiments by the chief to uh find a way to gain immortality because he's trying to live as long as his daughter so he can protect her so, like, uh, what happens to Elasta Woman was something that the uh, the chief set up to see if that would be a possible use. Right. And it gave her immortality, but it also it gave her a lot of problems. Same thing with uh, Negative Man, where it was another possibility, but another screw-up. And then later, Robotics, which I don't even know why he considered that an option. But Well, yeah, I mean, that also plays into comics. You, you find out in the comics that the chief isn't exactly the best person in the world. But even he isn't like a spring chicken. You know, he's pretty old throughout all this. And then you have the daughter, which is roughly around 90. So it's like, obviously he discovered something because he looks pretty damn good for his age. That's something that they do mention in season two. So in uh, the very beginning of season two, apparently he does have like a necklace that like it lengthens. It doesn't like uh, make him immortal, but it lengthens his life. And... uh, at the very beginning of season two, he gives that up and he starts aging rapidly. So all this time with all of his experiments, his quick fix was basically wearing a necklace like he was freaking um, Vixen. Yes. So he, he did have like this one little thing, but it wasn't like, it was sort it wasn't of- wasn't enough. Te- it was a temporary fix. Jesus. <laughs> oh, they, they need to fix the show. Yeah, there, there's, there's, it's, there's a lot of good things about it, but it does have a lot of plot holes. Um, can we talk about a DC Universe show that actually is good? Yes, let's do that. And for that, we talk about a segment that I've only done a few times because I'm too lazy to actually do research. Getting Animated with JT. Woo-hoo! And this week, we will be talking about the one, the only, Harley Quinn. So... Yes, the movies were not there that good. But she has had a TV show now on DC Universe for two seasons, which I personally love. They have basically taken every character in the DC Universe and they turned them into some sort of satire version of themselves. And you would think like this idea would get boring really fast, but it's so entertaining to watch like all these superheroes be more egotistical than they should, or like these uh, these terrible villains acting more like regular human beings just going through their everyday life except killing people. It, I, it's just, 
I love it. And I love the dynamic between them and each other and how they reinvent some of these characters too. Uh, season two just finished. Like last Friday was the season finale. And I'm going to warn everyone now, there's going to be some uh, spoilers here because I don't know how to talk about this without... Spoiler alert. Um, so I don't think it was as great as season one, to be fair. Season two, I think, started off with a bang. It basically, uh, it started off where they were in now the No Lands Man uh, storyline, which for those unfamiliar with it, basically like there's this giant earthquake that happens and Gotham falls apart and the United States decides to cut off Gotham. And basically it's only up to like Batman and a few others to keep the cities uh, sane. Well, in this version of it, it was caused by the Joker. And the Joker ends up getting eliminated by, not killed, but eliminated by Harley Quinn, who is now like ready to take over Gotham, which has now been destroyed by a giant earthquake and blah, blah, blah. But in the end, Harley Quinn, staying with Joker's uh, personality of chaos, decides, no, I don't want this. I want anarchy. I don't want to be in charge of anything. I just want to do what I want. So instead, some other major villains decide they're going to take over Gotham, which include the Penguin, Mr. Freeze, uh, Two-Face, and Bane. And so that's how it starts off. And that's a great freaking start because now it's like Harley has screwed everything up and now they have to set it right by stopping all these villains, which is actually a revenge plot because they apparently froze her at one point to, to keep her out of the picture. I'm very confusing with my reviews. One day I will do a good one. But, but I think they, the problem was they could only keep this up for like four or five episodes. And you got some good episodes out of it. But like halfway through, they were like, okay, we defeated them all. And uh, by the way, I'm in love with uh, Ivy. So they decided to start the, the Ivy-Harley relationship. But also at this time, they had already established a relationship between Ivy and Kite Man. So now it's sort of this love triangle where Kite Man is not even aware of it. And Ivy and Harley are kind of fighting over their feelings over like, should we, shouldn't we, blah, blah, blah. It kind of leads to some other stuff such as uh, Harley's like, well, I'll, oh, uh, you know what? No, Ivy's in her life. I'm just the friend. I do my own thing. I'm going to take over the world. I'm going to make a deal with Darkseid. And, and gets a whole bunch, uh, she gets a... Uh, What's the name of Darkseid's uh, minions? Parademons? Parademons. So she gets an army of parademons to take over Earth and then is convinced, like, you know what? Do you really want to do this? And I was like, nah, not really. And then kind of walks away from it all. But the parademons are still there, so they're just roaming around Gotham at this point. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, like, yes. It sounds great because it's, it's kind of like what I was saying regarding, like, uh, back with Taker and how he was so good, it was hard to really see much that satirized him, but when you did, it was gold. That's how I kind of feel about, like, this show. Now, granted, I haven't watched any of it. I've been wanting to, but I'm not signing up for DC Universe, and we know my issues with HBO Max. So it'll probably be some time before I get to watch it. But <laughs> I, I do enjoy that it is a show that is essentially satirizing everything that we know about the DC Universe, because we have been just so inundated with different characters to sometimes the characters three four five different ways in our lifetime that yes it is nice to see someone just go ahead and 
not necessarily bring a sense of reality to the character, but kind of be like, okay, let's just pull back the facade. Let's pull back the the ridiculousness of the character and why they're so serious, no pun intended to Joker, and just be like, you know what? If this was me, this is how it would be. You know, the soup to nuts. So there is something to be said for at least the humor of the show. This is a small joke, and I think uh, a lot of people have already forgotten it, but it was something that stuck out in my head because I've never seen anyone go this direction before with uh, Superman. But uh, basically there's a point where this fight off the parademons, they actually got Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman uh, back into the mix. Okay. And Wonder Woman's like, only if we could tell these parademons to go away. And she looks at Superman, and Superman's like, what? You think just because I'm an alien I can speak their language? Dude, that that's undertones. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... I didn't think they'd ever go that direction. And even better is that she stares at Superman for another second or two and goes, all right, I study a little bit of Parademon in college. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was a small joke, but it was, it was one that I found hilarious. But see, that's the thing. That's the, this is the show that can go that route. You can't do that with like the DC animated movies. You can't do that in the Arrowverse. You can barely do it on Doom Patrol. So, I mean, if you're going to go ahead and you're going to be, like, poking fun at yourself, this is the way to do it. And by the sound of it, it looks like they've been doing a decent job of it if they've only they've kind of, like, steered away from the hokey humor that probably was around in the first season and going more towards character development in the second. Yeah, there's still a little bit of hokey uh, humor in here. Like, it, it, like I said, it, it, towards the middle, like, got a little bit corny and I don't know if it really finished off strong, but it finished off in a way where I'd definitely be into a season three. Right. Um, so it, again, it's, this is a spoiler review, so you've been warned, but uh, so the very last episode is uh, Ivy's wedding to kite man who at this Aww. point, the, the episode before uh, one thing I had missed. Um, so one of Harley's crew members, uh, I can't think of his name at the moment. He's the, the short guy with the mind powers, Dr. Uh, Dr. Psycho or something. Dr. Psycho. So Dr. Psycho was one who encouraged Harley to get the parademons because Dr. Psycho also wants to take over the world. And when Harley kind of screws that all up, he's like, fine, screw you. And he decides to try to take over the parademons himself and try to take over the world. Well, he ends up having to fight Harley and Ivy over this and loses. But as his final revenge, he uses his psychic powers to show to Kite Man, as well as the rest of Gotham City, uh, Harley Quinn and Ivy having sex. Damn. And pretty much revealing that they've had this relationship. So then they go into the final, final episode, which is now the wedding of Kite Man, which Kite Man is a little bit hesitant, to say the least, about now getting married, but is convinced to go forward with it. And it kind of just ends with him saying, yeah, no, I'm not going to be marrying you. Um, because you obviously do not love me. And he walks out of the picture. There's a big gunfight because the police have tried to take over the wedding because all the supervillains are there. And apparently in this version, uh, uh, James Gordon is very, uh, very, I can't think of the word. Uh, he has an inferior, inferiority complex. So it's like, I'm going to catch all these villains and prove that I'm a damn good cop. And it all goes to hell. 
But it ends with like basically Harley and Ivy finally getting together and escaping in the same car that they used in the first episode that they met up with each other, which I thought was a nice touch. I don't know if many people caught that. And they, it basically, it ends right there. And I guess they ended with a, the end because they didn't think they would get a season three, but they kind of left it open for that. But so now it would take place where it's like Harley and Ivy are on the lamb. They don't yes. have their crew with them or anything like that. Yep. The crew is gone. It's just Harley and Ivy and the police are hot on their pursuit. And that's how it ends. Oh, I could see that being uh, a season three, you know, maybe take it out of Gotham and go to some of the other fictional cities of the DC universe, go to Smallville, uh, go to Star City, go to Bloodhaven, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, a little bit of world building there where you can now meet some other superheroes that you haven't, because I don't think Flash has been in there yet. They haven't had Green Lantern or any of them. Yeah, so that, well, that works out pretty well if you're going to go ahead and make the third season like a road trip. So I, I, this is one of the few shows that was my weekly Friday, which I said in another review about Harley Quinn. So if you haven't watched it already, I know I gave a really shitty review for this, but trust me, trust me from what I'm saying here. I love this show. If you're into satire, if you're into superheroes, if you're into wacky, bloody comedy, check this out. And if I ever am able to get access to do so, <laughs> I will. One day, Warner will give you one way to access it, which will actually be somewhat convenient. <sighs> Balls. <laughs> All right. So going from one Harley Quinn to another, uh, you've had your showcase, and now it is my time. It is Big O's Three to See, where I talk about everything past, present, and future in the world of film and cinema. And first topic I want to go into does kind of base itself on Harley Quinn in the fact that Margot Robbie, the live-action Harley Quinn herself, is being tapped for another franchise, this time on the other side of the pond, away from Warner Brothers, going to Disney. Uh, it is being stated that she is being tapped to lead a spin-off solo movie for the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, which in itself is actually supposed to be getting a reboot of the series Sans Jack Sparrow. As a matter of fact, the reboot itself has actually been talked that it would itself have a female protagonist. Uh, some names have come around, like Kira Knightley's uh, Elizabeth Swan coming back to the franchise and being the solo star. Others have stated that they were interested in Karen Gillum. Uh, from you know Nebula of Guardians of the Galaxy and Ruby Roundhouse of the Jumanji franchise to be the lead of that particular movie. No Doctor but, Who reference? Hmm? Nothing. No, no, fine. Yeah, okay. Doctor Who, yes. But <laughs> it, it, it's seeming like they're taking the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise in a female-oriented direction. I'm guessing the spin-off movie of Robbie's uh, may be the introduction of her or she may be introduced in the reboot and then have her own solo movie a la we've seen with uh, comic book films so any thoughts on wanting to see more Pirates of the Caribbean without Jack Sparrow well here's an interesting thing because from what I had heard they did rehire uh, uh, Johnny Depp to be in this film isn't that correct that was way back in the day that was when the Ruby reboot was like first talked about but 
since then, they've really thought that the draw of Johnny Depp, or of Jack Sparrow in general, uh, has kind of waned. So if even if he is in the movie, he is not going to be anywhere close to the prominent role that he has had in the last five movies. I feel like removing Johnny Depp or the character of Jack Sparrow from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is the equivalent of removing uh, Inspector Clouseau from the Pink Panther movies. It's, uh, you know, he, he's not always that great, but he's always better than the alternative option. I, I have nothing against a female-led cast, but Margot Robbie, she's not a terrible actress, but I guess I haven't seen anything that's overly impressed me from her yet, or at least anything that I've seen of her that would make me go, yeah, she would be great in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I could understand that maybe her being a pirate is a little bit of a, you know, like, okay, of all the people, why her? But I mean, as far as being a female lead, she is someone who is capable and someone who has the uh, act, action chops to be able to be a part of that universe, you know, with the swashbuckling and the sword fighting and stuff of that nature. Uh, I mean, there are very many capable female actresses out there, but for something like this kind of a franchise, it's good that there's someone who's capable of action as well as comedy and drama and all the stuff that you need for acting. That's why I, uh, in the reboot, there was the talk of bringing back Kira Knightley, who Kira Knightley has definitely proven her worth uh, as part of the franchise and as an action star in other movies. And Karen Gillum uh, also has really proven herself to be a great actress and has the physical chops to really go ahead and be an, an intimidating pirate factor. I think Karen Gillan, I give a little more for, like, I'd be more interested to see her in this movie than Margot Robbie. But then again, you know, I when you say, like, Margot Robbie's going to be the star of Pirates of the Caribbean, I automatically think of this uh, well, gender swap uh, version of Captain Jack Sparrow. But, I, I should state, but, uh, her movie would definitely be more of a spinoff of the franchise. It would not necessarily deal directly with the main timeline that has been established in the last five movies. Whereas I believe the reboot might. Uh, the, the timeline stuff is very tricky at this point. I, I think they're all just really starting to find a way of like giving it a fresh kick in the ass. Okay. So they want the franchise to keep going. It's just how do we do that without really resting on our laurels too much? So the, the thing is, as far as diminishing returns, the uh, fifth movie, uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales, that was out just like, what, two or three years ago, uh, not only did it kind of conclude the uh, Will Turner, Elizabeth Swan storyline by them getting back together, and really it pretty much did a kibosh on any and all curses within the seven seas, uh, it was also the second lowest earner of the franchise, the lowest only being the first movie, because then people didn't know what to expect. So it's one of those like Transformers sort of things where it's like you, you figure you keep getting money with every sequel, but when you're not getting as much money anymore, you got to change the format. I think as we're talking about this, I'm thinking more and more like how would like some of these uh, 
I don't. I, I've said in the past, I don't really like judging a, an actor or actress solely on the roles they played because very obvious they have a wider range at times in those characters. But just to, trying to think of the characters that the, the actors or actresses that you've mentioned for this uh, new upcoming film, I guess I would have to see a trailer. I guess I should not judge the actors themselves. I should see what they're going to place out, their storyline, the characters they're going to play. I think that would be a bigger appeal to me than trying to uh, trying to guess what these people are going to play. Because again, when, when someone says like Margot Robbie is going to be the star of a Pirates of the Caribbean, again, I'm thinking they're going to try some form of gender swap version of Captain Jack Sparrow, but that might not be the case. She might have a character that might suit her a lot better. They, the Captain Jack character might be more Karen Gilligan. Did I call her Gilligan? Yeah, I did. Gillen. Uh, Gillen. Gillen. Can I just call her Amy Pond? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can. That would probably upset a few fanboys, but... But I, I see her uh, a lot better in a sort of a Captain Jack Sparrow role. But again, I, you know what? Maybe I'm going to say I'm going to reserve any further judgment until I see a trailer for this film. I probably also should mention that the writer for uh, Margot Robbie's movie is also the same writer uh, from Birds of Prey and Harley Quinn. Does that help or hinder? Hinder. I figured as much. All right. Well, getting back into the world of DC, uh, also stated this week is that Michael Keaton is being talked to and looked at, nothing confirmed, but is being looked at to reprise his Bruce Wayne 1989 Batman character in the upcoming Flashpoint movie. Now, I don't know how to necessarily feel about this because as far as you and I know, and this is based upon something we've talked about earlier, I'm not even sure that a Flashpoint movie was even happening because the last time we talked about Flashpoint, it was that the Flash himself, Ezra Miller, was choking out a woman overseas in Europe. And that has not been talked about at all. As a matter of fact, no word on the Flashpoint movie, whether it's a release date, production, anything of it, has been mentioned up until this point where they are taking this uh, Batman character, which I guess is going to help them go into this uh, multiverse uh, mentality that they're going to have with the movie and really try to propagate it. I'm wondering if the reason they're going this direction is to try to take the heat off of Ezra. So you're not talking about the star, you're talking about these little uh, cameos. And even like the minute they said, oh, oh it's going to be Michael Keaton's Batman Flashpoint. Again, I don't know what the storyline is going to be. I don't know what extent he would be in the movie if he signed a contract with them. But I feel it's just going to be like a like a less than a minute segment where you just kind of see him as the Flash is going through the universes. I don't see it as a big role. Well, from reports that I've read, it looks like they might be looking at Michael Keaton to be more of a mentor role to Ezra Miller's Flash, I guess, in some respect of like uh, Nick Fury in the MCU, where he'd pretty much just be showing up for this movie and then possibly sporadically throughout, uh, depending on what is necessary to move the storyline and the timelines along. Because if we are going with the Flashpoint, which of course, for many people know, Flashpoint talks about an alternate world um, where Batman is a completely different person as far as, you know, instead of being Bruce Wayne, it's Thomas Wayne. And who knows if we're going to get the Jeffrey Dean Morgan of that, which I really would have liked to have seen. But maybe in place of that, we may be getting 
this older senior Bruce Wayne that Keaton would have portrayed from the 1980s and 1990s. So much so that this may be the timeline that also gives us Batman, um, you know, Terry McGillis. Uh, you know what? I don't think any of that interests me. None I'll be it? honest. I kind of want to, I think for the longest time, I've wanted to see Michael Keane come back in a Dark Knight storyline, like the Dark Knight Returns. And I feel like going this direction, A, I'm not overly interested in seeing uh, Michael Keane Batman mentor The Flash. I'm, I just feel it would ruin any of the other stuff that I was kind of hoping for there. I can understand that. And I'm sure it's going to be probably a hard sell for a lot of people because this may be a sign that WB just is going off the reins of what they can really do with the Batman character because they've already done so much that it's kind of hard for them to think about what they can do from here on out. And yes, Flash is going to be a bit of a tricky character and we're going to have to see exactly whether or not his character is fleshed out any more than he already has been once the Snyder Cut comes out before anything else. But I think there is something to be said for at least Michael, Clean, Michael Keaton's clout that he is being tapped and thought of to be brought into the fold because obviously he's done a, a good amount of deal for Marvel and that's just after being in one movie. I don't, I'm not doubting the, uh, the, the selling power these days of Michael Keaton. I mean, he's coming off some, uh, not award-winning roles, but some Oscar-nominated roles with Birdman and The Founder. Which I have that poster right here. Yeah. The Birdman so, poster. So he, his stock is definitely there. And again, I think there's a lot of people who would love to see him come back as Batman. But I don't know if I want to see him come back as Batman just for like this, uh, not no pun really intended here, flash in the pan. <laughs> I see what you did there. Good. I, like I said that. no pun. No pun. Uh, but it was punny. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I just, you know, at this point, I'm kind of lukewarm on a Flash movie, uh, both with what happened with Ezra, both with the fact that DC has not really been doing good with their properties until recently with Wonder Woman and uh, I guess Aquaman. I still haven't seen it, but yeah. Uh, eh. Aquaman's a good popcorn movie, but that's the thing. The, the way they've been doing the independent movies um, for the characters has played off better than anything you've done with like a multitude of superheroes. And unfortunately, it feels like the Flashpoint movie is going to be a multitude of heroes sort of scenario. So, yes, there is apprehension. And I almost think like the Michael Keaton thing is being done for positive press to make people forget about all the dire stuff and to just try to build off the popularity of the Snyder cut finally being made and coming out. I guess and in your respect, it would be like, okay, let me wait until I see a trailer. So this way we get a good embodiment of what the plot line is going to be for this movie. That is definitely going to be a little bit above the pale in regards to storytelling. It's going to be probably very complicated and you're probably going to want need to invest some time into the lore that's already been established in the previous movies. But what? No, I'm not going to invest my time in the lore of the previous <laughs> shitty movies. Even they don't know the lore of their previous movies. <laughs> and that's, that's the other problem with flashpoint. The, if, if everything was set up correctly, a flashpoint movie would be great. 
the fact that they've set up everything poorly, very poorly. Why? What? What is it? Is that? I see. That's the only reason to have a Flashpoint movie is to reboot everything that Zack Snyder fucked up. <laughs> There's a lot of Warner Brothers bashing today. <laughs> well, they bring it on themselves, don't they? Uh, uh, and to round out my uh, trilogy of uh, Warner Brothers based humility. Yeah. Um, For the first man to ever prove that you can do a real shit job on a DC movie. Oh, no, come on. His legacy is better than that. Yeah, it is, but we're always going to remember Batman and Robin. And anyway, it is some sad about, news. Yes. He, to end the show on a little bit of a dour note, uh, it should uh, be uh, noted that we want to go ahead and send our love, respect, and blessings to the family of Joel Schumacher, who recently passed this week. Um, and of course, many of us, you know, comic book elitists will know him from, yes, Batman Forever and Batman Robin, possibly the reason that the superhero movie was set back by so many years. Um, Seven. Yes. But to be fair, he has done things outside of Batman, and he's done some very good work in that regard. Uh, he's most known for probably uh, the Phantom of the Opera. Um, a Time to Kill was uh, one of his. Falling Down with uh, Michael Douglas, which is one of my favorite revenge flicks. Uh, Flatliners, the original one with Sutherland and Julia Roberts in them. Lost, the Lost Boys, Boys. In Almost Fire during the Brad Pack era. One of my personal favorites, DC Cab with uh, Mr. T. Love that one. <laughs> Uh, he, so the man's got a great uh, lineage of movies that, you know, really kind of overshadow in my mind the Batman stuff. But of course, the Batman stuff is just so infamously bad that it's going to stand a test of time. But the man should be remembered for all of his good works, not the stuff that is infamous. Yeah, and it, there is definitely some good stuff here. Still even more bad stuff. Hey, he did a phone book so booth, so it looks like he... Uh... Got some serious stuff in. At, oh, in number 23. Did he just go like on a binge of doing really serious films to make up for Batman and Robin? Probably. Uh, probably veering away from the overly gay slash multicolorful tones of the Batman movies. He kind of went on like a dark, serious route to kind of like balance out things. Yeah. Wow. Like, yeah, I'm looking at his, uh, his films after Batman and Robin, like 8mm, which was a fairly dark film. Uh, bad. Well, the bad company, not so much. Uh, and he he wrote Car Wash and The Wiz, which that's kind of surprising. Well, not really. I mean, again, with Schumacher's flamboyance in some films, those kind of like play into that. Yeah, I, I guess I could see that. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's never it, whether the person is known famously or infamously. It's it's never a great thing when someone passes away and his infamacy doesn't qualify for any type of real long-term hate so it it's very sad and like you said a little earlier i my condolences to his family and friends and all his fans well of the list that you have there is there a favorite of his films that you like not particularly but uh i haven't seen the 
No. I kind of like falling down, but I'll be honest, I haven't watched it since I was eight years old. And I think yeah, my eight I'll, year- I'll be fair, it's not one that I own, but it's definitely one that I would buy. I, it was just really weird to me. It's like this was like kind of I think it was a post basic instinct where you know you, you see him being like the the suave detective and everything, and here he is being this you know dorky looking accountant type with a gun just rampaging through town. I'm like, this is the revenge fantasy that brought on so many video games. I feel like the only thing I ever remember from that movie is after he raids the uh, the Army Navy store and he has like the the bazooka. He uh, he goes up to the construction site that kind of started it all, and he he. Some kid asks him, hey, what are you doing? It's like, I'm shooting a film. It's called Under Construction. And shoots a rocket underneath the street and blows up the construction site. That is good. Can't tell me that's not good. It had its moments. Oh. Uh, I and really I know, gotta find that thing on my like Blu-ray or something. Just, just for the shits and giggles. I, I almost want to watch it tonight now. Now that we're <laughs> talking about it. Because you can say a lot of things about Schumacher films. But when he does action... He is almost on like Michael Bay territory with his explosions and his mentality with, you know, the lead up to the action. It's, it's almost very pulpy, but it's fun. You can't say he's not fun. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I just, I've never watched too many of his films though. I know, I know of his list here, probably the lost boys is probably one of the most well-known at least in recent years. Oh yeah. Like you, you want to talk about action just to, car rampaging through a, a house and staking a guy up against the wall that that's good <laughs> so i guess i guess he had his moments it's just just like uh zach snyder he should leave batman the fuck alone <laughs> oh no oh uh, okay, right, okay. Just, just as a final note if you could pick and choose who handled a batman movie who would you pick who who would you like to actually handle the Dark Knight? Uh, for Besides Christopher role? Nolan, obviously. <laughs> Why? Because he was the only one that people actually liked what he did with the films. Well, and Tim Burton. Yeah. He he. Tim Burton's movies hold up in the fact that no one could do it right before him. But he, even since then, people such as Kevin Smith has come out and said, "Yeah, you don't. You didn't know what the hell you were doing." That hurts my heart. That, that, that's like, hey, 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 weren't you the one saying another episode? Like, you don't go up against a Jersey guy? I don't have to agree with everything Kevin Smith says. <laughs> I will respect it. But... Leave Tim Burton alone. But in terms of who I would see do a Batman movie well, I don't... Oh, I hate to say it as a filmmaker, I don't like list every single director out there and go, oh, yeah, I love this guy and what he does here and this guy what he does there. There's a lot of guys who I like, but I like for the movies they do. And for a Batman film, I don't know if there's a particular director I would trust with a Batman film. I guess, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say either... <sighs> Who's the guy who did the uh, the Sherlock Holmes films? Guy something. Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie. I would not mind seeing Guy Ritchie do a 
No, you know what? It'll go the same direction as Joel Schumacher now, the more I think about it. I don't know. How I don't, do you know? Because if you watch like Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels or the Sherlock's, he's, he's got a weird comedy that I don't think I would like that style for Batman. All right. Um, if I could throw out somebody to you, what about the guy who was responsible for the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer? I mean, I put him in the same uh, position. I mean, he's more of a producer than he is a director, but I'd like to see what uh, a Bruckheimer version of Batman would be. Yeah, I mean, just to repeat what I just said uh, a few seconds ago, I feel he's the same almost as J.J. Abrams. They do good jobs, but their stuff is just kind of cookie-cutter to me. But... I would like. I would dare to say that um, Batman has been very nuanced in uh, not so much the uh, Justice League version, but in the Christopher Nolan version where we saw him. Uh, I would one mind seeing more of like an action-packed sort of Batman movie. I'd like to see him go up with like a little bit more explosion. I'd like to see him go up with a little bit more, uh, you know, maybe not just fisticuff sort of fighting because the suit you know restricts you but i'd like to see maybe that's kind of what we're going to be getting with the new batman movie with uh, robert pattinson because he looks a little bit more spry he looks a little bit more agile i'd like to see a batman that can almost be like a bat you know just really just flying through knocking guys out boom boom bam and if you have to throw in some guns and some uh you know bombs here and there that just makes it even more pretty. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I think I kind of want to see a Batman movie go the opposite direction because, you know, the character's always been known as the world's greatest detective. I'd really like to see a Batman film that's more focused on him resolving a mystery than him being a superhero. I, I, it'd be very cool to see Batman in a different light that way. And I think it still could be done very well. Well, that might be also what we're getting with the Batman, with Matt Reeves' Batman. Uh, considering it's based off of the long Halloween. So it may be more of the detective story, but I like the kind of Batman that Robert Pattinson is portraying where he's a little bit more athletically adaptable to his surroundings rather than the, the, the meat briefcase that uh, Ben Affleck was or the um, overly techie version that we got with Christopher Nolan. But you know, it made sense, the overly techie one. Because Batman's always been known for having all this gear to help him resolve his his crimes. I don't, I don't know. Uh, from the pictures I've seen so far, what we've heard from uh, the man himself, I'm not overly looking forward to that film so far. I'll, I'll as I said earlier, I'll uh, wait for wait a trailer. Wait for a trailer. But ooh, right now, mm, I hate the suit. I, I don't. I wasn't particularly fond of him, and. Everything he said since has not made me any better. I'm any bigger fan of his. And on that disappointing note. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very lackluster today. Very, very uh, negative. Negative Nancy JT. Anyway. Uh, Well, basically, we just have like a bit of a sore spot, I think, this week for DC Warner Brothers. And it's just really all just oozing out. Much like, you know, Elastawoman. (laughs) Sorry, I know, I know. the kids are outside. <laughs>
Yeah, I, I've heard them for a while, so they're going to be a part of this episode because I already got enough to cut out without having to figure out how to deal with them. So, uh, yeah, so I don't know what else to really add at this point, so I think we're coming near the end. Big O, yeah. do you have anything else we, want, we would like to say? Well, I mean... First of all, AT&T, give me my fucking HBO Max account already. <laughs> and secondly, here's hoping that once the pandemic sides and uh, production gets back up and running and the movie theaters stop pushing back their movies to August now, that Warner Brothers really goes ahead and gets some stuff together. Because as of right now, the landscape is kind of wide open and I do want to see DC stuff gain a little bit more prominence than it has in the past years, um, as well as just Warner Brothers in general, because they are a legendary company. They've got so much good stuff in the tank. I just want them to leave it in the tank, you know, utilize it properly. Don't let it start spilling out where, you know, a leak's going to happen before you know it. The whole damn thing is blowing up and someone's walking away looking all cool. Just get your shit together, people. I mean, it's already so bad that I'm getting high on the fumes, so you better do something fast there, Warner Brothers. At least you're getting high, man. I'm, <laughs> I got all this liquor. I'm not even drinking it. <laughs> all right. With that all said, ladies and gentlemen, I thank you for joining us again for another episode. We will be back again next week, unless I have another breakdown or something like that. I didn't actually have a breakdown. I just I needed a rest. So that's why we took a break last week. So the but body broke down. My body broke down. My my, I would anyone like a partially used thirty-five-year-old body at this point? Because I could use a new one. Uh, thank you again, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. We will hopefully be back again next week. Uh, until then, you can catch all our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. Uh, someone told me there's another place we could put our podcasts uh, that seems fairly popular. I forget what it was right now, but I'll try to look to see if there's any place else that I can uh, we can stick our show and force you to listen to it. Uh, all the can, holes. We're putting it in all the holes. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Uh, we, of course, uh, also have our YouTube channel and our Facebook page where uh, you'll get our latest updates. So please become a fan or like. I don't know what you do with a Facebook page anymore. Are you a fan of the page? Do you like the page? Do you follow the page? Do you subscribe to the page? Whatever you just do with do the page. Just do all the things. Just do all the things with the page. Look at all our updates on the page. We always put our updates over there. Um, and of course, anything else that we forgot, you can always find it out somewhere at jtbigo.com. Until then, I bid you all adieu. Bye-bye. I'm Batman. <laughs>